You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Yeah. You are now listening to the Mind Over the Trouble a podcast, and I'm your host, Greg E.L.D., coach and change agent. You already know on this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generational leaders. And you already know this show is going to be crazy. Side note, if you're a Cavs fan, stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> I'm playing, though. I'm rooting for the Gold State Warriors because I'm a huge KD fan. And shout out, the finals about to come on in like 20 minutes. About to get this beer. About to be locked into the finals. Before I get there, I wanted to drop an episode for you. And yo, today's episode is phenomenal. I want to let you know already. After the first hour and 20 minutes, I have a off-the-cuff session where we just show like a regular conversation is pretty deep and I want y'all to tune in after the podcast so when I say um good night I'm gonna show the the special edition part of the podcast just talking about some real topics real organic also 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 I have some merchandise coming out my little trailblazer hoodies in full effect if you're not following on snapchat Gregory E. Hill so make sure you follow also too make sure you leave a review Please, please, please. We're looking to get to 200 reviews. We are at like 168. 200 reviews by next Thursday, all right? So please, 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 if you listen to this podcast every single week on iTunes, please leave a review. And third, we are excited to announce we are going to have a separate YouTube channel for Minority Trailblazer podcast. So it's going to be username Minority Trailblazer. It should be out within the next couple weeks. So be on the lookout for that. Minority Trailblazer Conference coming soon. Make sure if you want to receive more information, go to MinorityTrailblazer.com. And yo, it is going to be crazy. Also, I wanted to make the announcement. We are coming to these five cities, putting in an atmosphere. Starting in Durham, North Carolina, first and foremost. And that's not even including to the five cities. Got to start with his hometown. Next, Charlotte, North Carolina. Then Washington, D.C. Then Atlanta, Georgia. Then Brooklyn, New York. And stopping at Houston, Texas. So we will be bringing live Minority Trailblazer podcast with events afterwards. And like a live meet and greet with myself. Not just talking to take a picture, but to build on any ideas you have. We're going to have some sessions for you. So anybody that's interested in being part of the team for those different cities, email me at greg at greggyhill.com. We'll get you on. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a phenomenal experience, phenomenal event. So make sure you come out. And, and, yo, guys, anytime you have a question, reach out to me on SoundCloud, Twitter, LinkedIn, like a lot of people do. Reach out. I'm here to help y'all and serve. And y'all help me more than you know when you ask me different questions. So please make sure you're reaching out. 
So without further ado, let me read the bio of a guest and let's get into the show. She is currently the Corporate Relations and Events Manager for the Michigan League of Conservation Voters, a national political lobbying organization that focuses on protecting conservation issues by holding elected officials accountable. She is also an appointed and elected official, serving as a city commissioner for the City of Southfield's Total Living Commission and precinct delegate for Precinct 19 of the City of Southfield. In addition, she is the co-founder of YAB an organization that operates as a venture conglomerate to support women of color in business. She is phenomenal. She is dynamic. And she is one of one. They are, I can count on my, my, my hands how many environmental lobbies there are in the world, let alone the United States. So she is cut from a different cloth. She has an amazing story. I'm excited to bring her on, as you can tell in my voice. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Lauren Bellore to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you for that awesome introduction, Greg. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we do. That's what we do. I'm excited. I'm pumped up. Man, we done had a a, a, a podcast before the podcast, and now we're in the <laughs> podcast. So we're in the zone, so I'm already in the space. And I know you asked me how my Saturday was going. Matter of fact, my Saturday's been phenomenal because I was up at 7 o'clock in the morning. Remember, for all my entrepreneurs, for my branders out there, experiment, innovate, experiment, innovate. I realized that a lot of people had a lot of questions they wanted to ask me about speaking about random stuff so i said hold up i could email i could text them stuff but i was like yo every saturday let me try something just every saturday I, i'm very big on being intentional i think we're going to touch on that in this podcast and every saturday i like the saturdays that i do well are saturdays i have a podcast like interview early in the morning or i just have a good conversation early in the morning that gets me on our way so I realized, like, you'll say, what would happen if I had, I opened up from seven to eight o'clock, 20 minute sessions for people that had questions, just answer them. No, like, after you talk to me, I'm going to send you a, a link to a coaching program for a thousand dollars into that. Just free, just talk and just grow. And I tried it out this morning. I mean, I had three powerful conversations. One went for an hour, one for 30 minutes, another for 30 minutes. And man, like, my Saturday has been on cloud nine, cloud nine of information, of impact. It got my my brain rolling. And now my brain is just focused on dominating and providing value. So I'm in a great spirit. I'm in a great mood. So Lauren, you already know the show. Like I said, you said you were listening, avid listener. So you already should have a quote ready. So share with our audience, the people that tuning in right now, a quote that you live by in a story about how you use that quote in your everyday life. Absolutely. So the quote that I choose to live by, and and I've used it several times, it's one that I coined myself, is never dull your diamonds to let rock shine. Mm-hmm. And a story that corresponds with this quote is that, you know, for myself, you know, I feel like that when I choose to go into any venture in my life, whether that be professionally or non-professionally, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing it within my lane. I'm only mm-hmm. competing against myself and I'm not going to let the fact that someone would be intimidated by that and stop me or intimidate me into not going full flesh into what I want to do. And so that is why I utilize that because it's best basically saying that, you know, whatever God-given talent you possess, you should make sure you let it shine, you know? Um, and I love that line in Kendrick Lamar's new album um, where for the song Pride, where, you know, he's basically saying that, you know, he won't humble himself just because you feel insecure. 
That's the exact same way I feel about my life every day. So don't feel bad about sharing your positive notes on social media or even vocally in person because that's who you are and that's what you do and that's what you were blessed with. So, Amen. I love that. I love that. I love that. That's a sermon right there. That's a sermon wrapped into <laughs> a nugget. And uh, imagine, yeah, imagine that this interview is like a nugget from a Chick-fil-A sandwich. You just eat it and so good and so pleasant. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm on one today. I don't know what's going on. So <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I love it. <laughs> so uh, let's do a brief kind of introduction, kind of who you are, where you come from. And then we're going to jump right into kind of what you do today, the space you're in, because I really want to dive into it. But if you could share with our audience briefly, kind of where you where you're from, where you come from, like what was it like growing up and like kind of what morphed you into uh, the woman that you are today? Awesome. So I am from Michigan. Um, I was raised by two awesome, loving parents, um, Gerald and Rhonda Belor. My father um, was in engineering for General Motors, and he also was chief in the military, which is the highest you can go. And then my mom works in business banking for Bank of America. So they pretty much set the bar pretty high on... um, my foundation, <laughs> who I am as a person. Um, but I've kind of, you know, I'm an only child. So I had a lot of time to think, um, a lot of time to kind of build the type of person that I want to be, build my own character. And I also didn't have siblings to lean on as an example or be the example for. So it really gave me a chance to kind of cultivate myself as being independent, but also just being a leader because you have to be a leader. There's no one else to follow. Um, So that kind of gives you a little bit of a foundation of how I was like as a child, always choosing to be ambitious. Um, And just, you know, it's a, I'm going to give this story because it kind of sets the foundation of who I am as a person as well. Um, When I was in um, preschool, I went to a predominantly white school in the 90s. So that should give you a pretty good idea <laughs> or indicator of that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one day I came home from school and, you know, I asked my dad picks me up and he was, you know, I asked my dad, like, dad, where's mom? And mm-hmm. so he just was completely thrown off in the intonation of my voice. Intonation. <laughs> big word alert. Big word alert, guys. Big word alert. <laughs> so, you know, he was just kind of like, I don't understand where this inflection is coming from, <laughs> but this is not how we raise you. When I dropped you off, you didn't have that same voice. And I think this is an important story to tell because, you know, we kind of talked about pre-podcast assimilation and you kind of use it in a positive aspect as far as you know, learning how to integrate different environments um, socially to be able to be relatable, which I think is awesome. But in the cases used from a social construction perspective, when we're looking at race and ethnicity, a lot of times assimilating means wanting to integrate into a different race or ethnicity in society or in that environment to downplay your culture. And Mm. that is exactly what I was doing. So my father was making it known that you do not ever, you know, take away the the foundational principles that make you who you are, which would be your race, ethnicity, and gender to fit into another social group that is perceived as dominant, but isn't. And so that has kind of stuck with me for the rest of my life because I refuse to assimilate for anyone. I think it plays a role in wanting to always be 
like the first African-American or woman to do something because I can from there, you know, lift as I climb and bring other people from my culture into the fold of whatever industry or project or venture or program that I'm getting engaged in. So I just kind of felt like that kind of will give you a little bit more of my background and how that plays a role into the, you know, occupation and, and industry that I'm in today. Wow. That's, that's a, that's a mouthful because <laughs> the the reason why I even say that, because it, it just brings me back to my first internship in corporate America when I was interning for General Electric. And I knew from jump when I, when I got there, it was a great environment. I was getting paid a lot of money, twenty twenty two dollars an hour at 19, making more than my mom. My mom didn't go to college. And I was like, I was looking at the black people around me and I was like, yo, I don't want to be like them. They like that can't that can't be who they are. Like in meetings, like yeah, mm-hmm. it was just a whole different swag. And I was like this, and I and and I know now I know more about the, the cats that are in corporate America from when I was in there. And there's a lot of real dudes out there. Not to say I'm the I'm the real dude, like quantifier. Like I'm not the I'm not the gauge. I don't got the litmus <laughs> test. So I know, <laughs> but you can tell that somebody that's really trying to sell it up. I mean, I know all mm-hmm. many of us have been experiencing in these in these. Um, I know probably y'all. Some of y'all shaking your head right now in your car in the gym. Y'all been in these uh these these meetings and guys are are talking and all this way and then it's like yo so. We had this little, the black little meetup group and the diversity doing. We all were, were, were people, were comrades. And then now we're in the meeting. You act like you don't know me or you're just, it's just really weird. Like, I don't know, man. So I always wanted to be different in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. That's why for the longest I was growing my hair. Not because, not because I really wanted to grow my hair. Cause first of all, I, I, side note, shout out to all the women and the men that have natural hair and they can have that because it's just a process. I had me, I had me out here wearing bonnets and it's my hair was still looking horrible. <laughs> So I'm like, yo. I love my bonnet. Man, I'm wearing a bonnet and I wake up and my hair still look like trash. I'm like, what in the world? Like, I'm, I'm, blo- I'm, I'm, I'm putting Facebook up there, posts about like different products to use. People give me all this advice. I said, I'm studying like this. Like, I'm going and take a test. Everybody has a different thing. Oh, you need to get the Trina oil. You need to get the, the Jamaican curl oil. You need to get, I said, bro, what in the world? You need to get this sugar cream. I said, what in the world? I even looked, somebody even gave me a link to a, uh, something where you have to put your head upside down for like, uh, an hour in your your follicles they used to do something in egypt that people grow like inches in a week i was like my goodness but <laughs> <laughs> but uh dang i don't even know where i was going with that i was going somewhere deep oh yeah, yeah, yeah i got it i got it now i'm getting back i'm getting back to it but i always i just wanted to be different because i mean in the speaking room there's a lot of clean cut corporate guys that they come and they got this polish and this message so i said i still there there is something in adapting but there is something to adapt like is that mean it's the right way like is that mm-hmm. their way and i think a lot of times we struggle in society of okay even when we we have this rich and poor context like so what if it is rich if we have like white people rich is there black people rich is there black people poor there's a lot of questions to that and that leads to a lot of like unrest and, and nothing else so i think that's a great segue into kind of what you do today and what you advocate for and what you stand for because um i, I really think that's that's something that's never been really talked about in this podcast so if you could share with the audience kind of what you do today um and kind of what it means Sure. So currently I am the corporate relations and events manager for the Michigan League of Conservation Voters. I know the name is a mouthful, (laughs) so I'm going to break it down. (laughs) So um, what we do is it's an environmental lobbying organization. 
in comparison to a lot of multi-client lobbying firms you have, how I choose to compare it is try to make it relative um, to my generation who, or even my demographic of being African-American um, who may not necessarily be infiltrated into politics or, for that matter, environmental politics. So if you watch House of Cards, mm-hmm. which many people do because it's an amazing show and it's 10 times more realistic than a lot of the others out there. Can you put um, briefly, briefly, it's, uh, House of Cards, because I know I kind of understand, but it's like a, what, can you break it down real, real quick? Absolutely. So House of Cards is a show on Netflix. Um, it's a Netflix original. Shout out to all of the Netflix originals, because I love watching Netflix. Um, that doesn't mean I Netflix and chill all the time though. So don't take that. <laughs> Not all the time, a... <laughs> but you do though. She said she said all the time, but she do though. <laughs> um, but it, it's a really good show because the basis of it, um, is actually on a democratic president. Um, but it's interesting because he operates a lot like a Republican, uh, as far as, um, the way he tries to scheme to get votes and get into positions of power, it's quite interesting. I mean, I think that's the part that becomes interesting to me. Also, too, from a political perspective, for those of us who work in politics, I like it because some of the guests on the show um, were actual real people who worked in politics. So, like, they had Donna Brazil in season one. And she was just doing political correspondence like she always did. So it, it was really interesting that they also use the correct terminology that we use in politics. Mm-hmm. So if you have somebody that's an incoming president or incoming senator, you would use president elect or senator elect because technically they just won that election, but they are not going to be sworn in until January. So you just refer to them as that elect. Um, and I've heard that on the show. And then also too, they had in season one where they were having an issue with some unions. Um, I think it was supposed to be similar to like uh, the MEA, which is the Michigan Education Association and, you know, that on the federal level, um, like AFT. But it was interesting because a lot of people do not use unions in political shows and unions play a major role in political shows, especially when it comes to campaigns, because it's, again, about raising money and it's it's a facet of lobbying. So I really liked that. But I use that reference because Claire, his wife, worked for an environmental lobbying organization, which is exactly what I do. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the same thing. <laughs> and can you, um, I knew you get into it, but. Can you break down, before, I guess, lobbying before you get into the thing? Yes. So I know there's a lot of layers. So let me break that down. <laughs> there's a lot well. of layers. I know some people, that I like, I, some people are like, I get you. I'm where you at. And some people are like, hold up, G, 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 bring us back, bring us back. What is lobbying? Because I know my first thing when I hear it, it's crazy that even post, like, when we were talking on the phone before a call, she was like, yeah, I've been, I've been gone for four weeks. And I was like, yo, hand me a vacation. Like, you go on a vacation every day? He said, I got unlimited PTO. I said, what job you got? I'm a lobbyist. I said, what the freak? What is, what, what is that? Like, you get unlimited PTO as a lobbyist. And from my vantage point, because I've, I've, uh, one of my first mentors was a lobbyist and 
he was just so shady, I believe, man. He just, he just made, he was just trying to do a lot of stuff. And I'm like, yo, what do you really do? You just conversate, you broker deals. And like, what, how do you get paid for that? Why are you on in these pictures with all these pop, famous politicians? And I, I, I never understood it. So just break to our audience down, like what a lobbyist is and then segue into what, a, and, and, and the kind of your space and your lane in it. Yeah. So, okay. There's different aspects of politics i think i'm going to start there Mm -hmm. because that's like the first basis of breaking it down so you have campaigns and elections Mm -hmm. which is the side basically to get someone into office and that's where i started um i started on actually taking it fully back um, when i was a fellow for michigan suburbs alliance i actually started working with local government first Mm -hmm. because i was working on a millennial mayor's congress which was to help get millennials on boards and commission seats, which come full circle. I ironically became a millennial as a commissioner. Um, So, you know, that made the program obviously worth it. But I also had to look into how people in local government were relating to their constituencies. Um, So it was more policy driven was the focal point of that. Um, Mm -hmm. They dealt with regional transit um, and other different facets of policy on the local level. Okay, so that's one. You can take the policy route, which is one aspect of politics. Then you have campaigns and elections, which is where I got my real foot in the door of politics because I worked on the fundraising aspect of campaigns and elections. So there's different entities of a campaign that someone could work in, which you probably would know from working, having worked for the, a mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's you know, there's fundraising and then there's actual campaign management. And then there's also you could work on the communication side of a campaign and then you could also work on the field side of campaigns. Now, the reason I want to break that down is because those roles play a, a huge role into why I have taken the route that I've taken with my career, because many times if you have anybody that's of color that works on campaigns or elections, a lot of times they get put in field roles automatically, Mm -hmm. which means that they would just go door to door. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with knocking doors because at some point we all have to do it to support a candidate. But to only put them in one facet of politics does not necessarily help their their career grow. Mm -hmm. You know, because that means that we're only, that's like only putting, you know, people of color in... The communications realm. So if they're only working in advertising, marketing, journalism, then you have, you know, politics, policy, engineering, medicine. You have all these other industries where we're still lacking in numbers. So then we have to encourage people to be in other roles as well. That's the exact same thing I'm saying within politics. It's like you can't put us in one cluster. Like we need more people, people of color being campaign managers. Absolutely. That's a huge leadership role. And it's a huge career leverager because a lot of people who win campaigns can go on to become chief of staff or district directors or policy directors or political directors. And then on top of that, you also need people of color in fundraising. We should be engaging with donors. Money makes the world go round, regardless of the positive impact that you're trying to have with the money. It does make the world go round. Mm-hmm. And you, you meet so many interesting people from working in fundraising because, you know, my donor base, whether it was campaigns or even for a lobbying organization, consists of millionaires and billionaires. 
that's access to capital. Like, and that is something, of course, that I'll get into, probably, we'll probably get into later into the show, but access to capital and resources is part of the problem as to why we are stuck in certain brackets as a race and culture. And so long story short, that's an aspect of politics. And then you have lobbying, which you can be a multi-client lobbyist, um, which works with, you lobby on behalf of corporations, um, which usually is your clientele. Or you can be an issue-based lobbyist, which is what we do, and that's working specifically with environmental and conservation issues. So basically trying to protect the environment. So that should break down. Yeah. And what is it? The different roles. <laughs> so what does a day look like in a lobbyist? Like what, take me through a lobbyist day. I know, I know day, it probably changed a lot, but it take us to a couple times within the last month, a day and what it looks like. Like, do you, are you talking on the phone, talking to people? Are you sending a lot of emails? Are you researching? Are you like, what, what, what do they do? So there's different aspects because we have people who in our organization who actually lobby, which means that they are going to the legislature three days a week when they're in session. And that's our government affairs team. I don't have to do that. So I don't have to actually go in and lobby. Granted, I work for a lobbying organization. So is that kind of I wonder I hope that kind of breaks it down in a sense because I work on the development side of it. I wouldn't call. I don't like to necessarily call it that I'm going in and lobbying because it it makes it sound bad in a sense, because I I feel like when I'm working with donors, I'm getting them to invest in our work so that we can lobby to Mm. legislators. So there's a connect. We're kind of like a bridge to our government affairs team um, and to the legislature uh, when we're working with donors um, and corporations. So we do work with multi-client lobbyists as well, but it's just, it's, it's not as if I have to go to the legislature and talk to the electeds um, every day, like our government affairs team does, but I still do engage with the electeds, but it's more so to get them involved with our work, whether it be on our event side of things um, or to give money. Mm. So I think that breaks it down. I, I know. <laughs> no, that, no, it breaks it down. It breks it down. And of course, at the end of the day, people that want to do due diligence and research, they can reach out to you or they can do more because it just it's, it's, it's something that it takes a long while to kind of grasp around. But one thing I can grasp being that you primarily your job is not what do you call it? You don't call it fundraising or do you call it fundraising or. um. I would more so just say development only development. because it's. Now it's two entities with that being corporate relations and events. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing development work because we have a C3 and a C4, which is also in a unique detail to most people doing lobbying work because the, our C3 is our nonprofit side and our C4 is our lobbying entity. So that is probably why development kind of puts a different lens on it, whereas fundraising is more so what I did for campaigns. Um, sometimes I still call it fundraising because it is fundraising, but it's it's more so what I did for campaigns because it was for a specific time period as a project for a specific candidate. So it, it's interchangeable, but we mostly use development in our world. So I, I want to ask on behalf of the people that are event planners, people that are entrepreneurs, people that are people that are just creating something, maybe it's a company, maybe it's a product, I don't know what it is, a side, ho- side hustle or something, 
that they are seeking investment. They are seeking somebody to um, invest in them. They're seeking somebody to kind of aid them in creating it or putting it off or launching it. From your from your years of experience, kind of uh, fundraising and then um, developing, what is it called? What is it called? It's sorry, the D D D D D D development. Yeah, development. I know you. I know you maybe have some jewels, some tips for those that are like pitching for sponsors or pitching for investment or pitching for capital. Like what over the years, like what stuff that you have gained? How can our our viewers, how can our listeners, um, attack it in a in a very tactful way to to get the results they they're trying to look for? So I can give that to you in two perspectives. One would be from working with fundraising on a political side. And then one would be from working with YAB, mm-hmm. um, where we're actually working with women-owned businesses um, so, of color to help them support support their business endeavors. With politics and fundraising, um, because the people are investing in a representative or an issue where representatives you still support, um, which would be what we do specifically at MLCV, then that's a little easier to get someone to invest in because I'm going to tell you something about donors, which typically is the 1%, which typically falls under, well, not even just 1%, but top percentage of the country, which typically falls under... Um, people who are not of color, because I will say we do not have many people of color that are donors. And I've seen that um, both on the campaign side as well as for a uh, a lobbying organization. Um, I would say that a lot of times they're already philanthropists in general. So they give all the time. Um, they give to tons of causes. Mm-hmm issues etc it's just it's really it's it's also a tax write-off too so it just you know they invest in their passions by giving thousands of dollars and i you know it's just something that we kind of have socially ingrained society that you do when you make it to a certain level um at least in mainstream society um so it would be difficult to say that an entrepreneur could probably come in and get an investment for their startup from these individuals because that's investing in a company. Now, what I can say from, you know, working with our board members who a lot of them are our major donors um, or just working with other donors in the past individually, what I will see that what I've seen from them that could be modeled by a lot of entrepreneurs who want to eventually become the status that they have is that, they, I would say people need to hone in on their vision and mission and have it be solid. And then from there, build social capital and social enterprise, because a lot of these people have networks that have helped to build that. And I'm not saying that someone has to go to a certain school um, on a collegiate level or even a postgraduate level. Um to to have a certain status or build a certain amount of capital for a business. But I will say there's a very strong similarity to a lot of these individuals like that are on our board. For instance, a lot of them went to Harvard. A lot of them, you know, did certain programs or 
um, looked into certain opportunities that are very similar. And I will say that these days we do need to continue to not neglect education. Um, I know that entrepreneurship is supposed to be seen these days as the antithesis of everything that a corporate professional would take as their route, but there are certain entities of that route that still translate into serial entrepreneurship. And this is exactly why a lot of times, and I've, you know, used this term in the past, is that we have hustlepreneurs these days and not actual entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And they're investing in a side hustle part-time, but they're not treating it as if it was a Fortune 500 company. No, you have to treat it how you would want it to operate. Otherwise, it's just going to always be that side hustle. It's never Mm. going to be something that, Mm -hmm. you know, builds your career. So I think, uh, and this might get into a more deeper aspect of it, but I think mentality plays a huge role into why we still see certain hierarchies when it comes to entrepreneurship and getting that ladder of investment and capital. No, you hit it squarely, squarely on the head because I struggle with it all the time. And I think I'm starting to begin to make the shift, but it really is a mindset. It's a mindset because I've always operated kind of like a hustle because, I mean, I think a, a part of the culture, we just know how to get it. We can get it. Mm-hmm. We can grind. And I hate the word grind. Now I use thrive, but Ooh, we, just, thrive. we just, we just, we know, we, we know how to come from, from, we, cause we come from so much. So we have that mentality like, okay, we just gonna, we, we working hard, working hard, working hard. But a lot of times we're not working smart and mm-hmm. it just makes up. Mm-hmm. And then plus, I think the bigger thing you hit on though is everybody's not an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs become so sexy now. It's so sexy a word that everybody, everybody in corporate, I'm wanna, I wanna own my own time. I wanna do this. But honestly, the successful entrepreneurs, I'm, I'm talking about the ones that are, are consistently generating revenue from 60 to 100,000 and up for our family. Those are, are few and far between, especially for black people. Let's be real. They're few mm-hmm. and far between. They're unicorns and they're unicorns mm-hmm. for a reason. And even the white people that are entrepreneurs, they're unicorns, they're unicorns for a reason. But a lot of times we can go, we're not going to go into slavery and how they already had like the, the, the mother and the father in business. We're not going to go, go, go that direction, but mm-hmm. it's like, it just takes so much. And I think we just throw around that term all willy nilly. I don't, I don't know why that's just all, that's the optimate. Like, oh, everybody's okay. I need my time. Some people, you don't need extra time. You don't need, you need to be at the office because you don't know how to manage the time at the office. So what makes you think we're going to leave that? <laughs> you just all of right. a sudden going to be having to manage your nine to five. Like for real, like somebody. Yeah. It's wasteful potential. And I think that, you know, again, and we kind of talked about this with our generation of, of individuals um, and peers. Um, <clears throat> A lot of times we see a lot of people who, you know, okay, so what you do as a motivational speaker is for a living, right? You live and breathe that as a career. What I have seen is that everybody wants to be the go-to guru for inspiring someone. I swear, it's down my timeline all the time on social media. And I think people get disappointed when... They, you know, you get tons of random friend requests and I'll get people to friend me that I have no idea who they are. But if we have mutual friends, I usually accept. Um, 
I think they get disappointed because I'm not really going to give you that. I'm just going to give you the receipts. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to say just got a call from this really dope national guy to do a podcast segment. Stay tuned. No, I'm just going to post the segment mm-hmm. and then you're going to see that it was done. Um, I'm more of a completion person here. You can see the results, you know, you know, it's funny because, and this is with YAB, but we recently got a feature in NBC news um, mm. and it went completely viral. Like it was insane. I, if, how that went. Um, I was very thankful to the, the editor for that. Who's working for NBC at the time. Now she works somewhere else. Um but it was interesting because, you know, that we talked about that back in January. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this didn't come out until May. So I could have easily been like having a meeting with NBC in the works, interviews coming soon, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I don't have time for that. You're just going to see the article is going to hit your timeline. And then, you know, that that's pretty much all I can give you. I'm not really going to give you the steps leading up to my actions. And I think, we kind of live in a society and generation. I was like, let me open up every aspect of my life to you on social media. I don't know if it's because these days people don't really have friendships as much as they used to, like authentic friendships, um, which is something I think is missing um, from our generation. But they're really believing that the title friend on social media means they're actually your friend. So they want you. I want to invite you into my world and it's okay to, if you're doing people, something, invite people into your world. If you're yeah, doing something, if you ain't exactly, doing nothing, don't invite exactly, me to your, your world. Exactly. Like it's completely okay to give pieces of yourself. Um, especially for a branding purpose, because I think social media can do that. But what's not, necessarily as enticing i'm not gonna say it's not okay but it's not as enticing to me as an individual as someone who would more so want to be a go-getter is literally to break down your whole life on social media but it's not leading to anything you're just like bingo this is why it's pump faking because it's it's giving pieces of information to nothing And it's making other people think that they are less accomplished or less established and we're creating this this culture of, you know, mental handicapping other people's ambitions because we're making it seem like everyone is doing great when they're not. Now, there are people doing great. You know, you interview them all the time. I will throw myself in that bunch. <laughs> but um, I, I find it very, sometimes very disappointing that other people think that everyone's doing that. No, there's a very small percentage. And when it comes to being in the rooms with people who are in the 1% and you still see yourself being the only person of color in the room, I can tell you right now they're pump faking because they not in, we not in the room together. Mm-hmm. So we still need to do some work then. We still need to change some statistics to really get these people in the room to really be moving and shaking and not just talking about the idea of moving and shaking. Man, that's that's something right there. And as we transition to y, YPAP, Y-A-B, my bad. Y-A-B. <laughs> I did want to say it's like at the core of it all, especially now everybody is uh, motivational in a sense, which I which I love in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like what I tell, like I, what I told you before we got online, like I was cleaning my room because uh, I, just, I just wanted to clean my room and everything else. It's about living it, like live who you are. 
Like, I, I hate the way to throw out. I threw out branding. I throw out brand and all this other stuff. But to be real, everything that I try to do, I want to live it. I am. It, you are who you are. Like, live like a brand. I hate nowadays people are curating and curating brands. And the, when I say that in a sense, for me, my perspective, I'm just curating who I am. Like that's that's I, I that's who I am. Everything I do, that's that's who I am. I want to show the good. I want to show the bad. Some people's like, yo, gee, just focus on this. You don't got to share all that. I mean, you oversharing. Well, no, because I think there's people out there that are have ambitions to do similar things I, I do. But like I said, they're mentally handicapped because if they only see uh, certain aspects, then they're gonna be like, man, I shouldn't even start. Like I was talking to my boy, and I was like, all right, here here's the game. Here's the steps. This is what this is what could go wrong. This is what go wrong. Hey, you can you can work back at this post, and you can see this. You can see that. And I think our society and our culture, we move so forward, not to say everybody should be all draped out on social media, all in their emotions, telling people kind of every aspect <laughs> on the bottom or, or to come up. No, but finding that balance. And I think it's, mm-hmm. it's our responsibility because certain people will be like, well, it's not my responsibility to show the areas that I'm not that good in or to share that, show some flaws. It's not my responsibility, whatever. No, it is as, a, as a, in, in this culture, um, being black and really just trying to, to show the youth and show people that are be behind us what it really looks like to get to get into your industry, especially if you that successful, like you said, I think you hit it right on the head. Then the rooms that you're in, the vacations you're going on, you see a lot more people like yourself. If you that dope, mm-hmm. if you that deep, the people around you need to be. You need to show people how to get the deep as you. If you that deep, if you got it all good together, if you're the best parent, if you have the best marriage, if you're gonna have the best wedding, if you got this, just give me the step by step process on how you do it. But if you can't do it, that means you're not that deep. That's how you can tell somebody who's a real speaker who really do it. If they can go step by step, oh, here's how you create an hour presentation. Here's how you create 30 minutes. Here's how you deal with this situation, this situation. From the front guys that's on, on social media with a mic and all of a sudden they're professionals. Like there's a big, mm-hmm. there's a big difference. So I love what you said about it because if you continue to live in your space, live in that moment, you'll be happy. It's, it's effortless. And it's, I see it's way too many people trying, but we're going, we're going to jump into YAB kind of explain kind of what that is, what it stands for. Because I looked online, I realized y'all been going at this for a long time. I, I went back yeah. the press was in 2010. <laughs> like people come to me all the time, like about the organization they started. And I say, Oh man, that's cute. You started in 2016. This is 2010. So, how like how have y'all been able to kind of continue to and this is this is three people right yes so we we actually started in 2012 so we are five years in um we started a year after we graduated from college from michigan state university go green um and they are two my co-founders are two peers of mine from michigan state um and what basically we started when it was not as popular to support women mm. on social media. There was no now. women empowerment. Exactly. There was no black girls rock. There was no um, melanin magic. There was no, all of these hashtags that you see um, black girl magic, none of that existed. So we were kind of in a realm and or in a space where we felt that it needed to happen. Um, granted, you know, other people came in, they coined these terms and they started wanting to, you know, push for female empowerment. But when we started, we started from a blank slate. Um, I'm glad that the realm has has grown in in female empowerment and supporting women in business. But the difference is with myself and my co-founders and our organization is that we are not trying to build 
our careers or our come up off of YAB. So we're not compensated at all. Um, the money that we raise from our event series, which our event series, I at first didn't even want to charge. And my co-founders were like, well, we need to raise money for our scholarship. I was like, oh, okay, you make a very valid point. So um, we, I said, well, why don't we charge exactly $1, $1, which people think is so weird, um, to to come to our events. And basically what it would mean is we would have to hustle to get the mass attendance there because we don't have that many a year. We do about two to three a year mm-hmm. um, because we still have careers. <laughs> so, you know, we do two to three a year, which means that we would have to get 250, 300 people in a room to even raise a thousand dollars. We did raise a thousand dollars in 2016 and it came from getting the women in the room. We want you in the room to hear the message and receive the resources that we provide by partnering with co-working spaces, which has become very popular since 2014, um, so that people could stop putting so much investment into brick and mortars, which this gets into our earlier conversation of what entrepreneurs can do for funding and startup. Um, co-working spaces is definitely an option for that, which is why we partner with them. We try to partner with resources that do not have many people of color so we can bring the women of color to them. I think that's also a difference in our organization compared to all these other things popping up is that they are black centric even in their partnerships, whereas we are not. We are not going to get far if we are only partnering with black businesses and organizations. Um, We have to partner with co-working spaces, which they may be owned by, you know, people who are not of color, or we like, for instance, with our community engagement and mentorship entity, we partner with Chicago Public Schools, um, the entire school system where they hand us a school and we bring them a program to create younger ladies Mm -hmm. of color um, in this business space early on so that they can have these resources before they become 18 to be eligible to be a member or venture partner of our network. Um, But, you know, the reason that I bring that up is because I think one thing that's stifling a lot of Black businesses is that they stay Black-centric. And I don't think that means that you shouldn't cater to a certain demographic because obviously we cater to women of color um, in supporting them. But we support them to put them in other spaces so that they can be looked at as a serious Fortune 500 company, um, just as much as an Apple or, you know, a Johnson & Johnson or a Hewlett Packard, any top business that is featured regularly in Forbes, Fortune or Fast Company, um, the three dominant Fs of the business realm. So, That is why we do what we do, because we want to change statistics. I am not a motivational speaker. I am not going to coin myself ever in this lifetime as a motivational speaker. And I'm mad. You just threw when I, when I, when I, (laughs) I got automatically coined in that. I hate people calling me that. Like, I guess I'll, I'll ascribe to that, but I get, Mm -hmm. I said how I get automatically coined into a motivational speaker. And then all of a sudden now, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's Shame. nothing wrong with that. I just can't have that weight on my shoulders because I never signed up for it. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, I'll take role model. That's great because that only aspire, that only requires me to continue to be, you know, the best person I can be to help someone else. But I can't aspire to motivational speaker. I can't 
you know, ascribe to women empowerment guru, because that's just, that's not who I am. What I can say is, is that I'm an African-American woman that cares about the success of other African-American women as far as breaking stereotypes. I am someone that's never wanted to be a stereotype, and which clearly comes from the foundational story I shared earlier from my childhood. And I don't want other women to be coined as stereotypes. And so in order to break away from these stereotypes and break away from these social construction or barriers, that means that we have to change statistics. I want to see the number and percentage of women of color continuously having a 10 year plus business, the same business, not the third business you're on, the exact same business that you started with to increase. In order to do that, we have to set that model. So you know, when you look at, when you said you looked into us and we're five years in the game, because we have created a model of consistency. And that is what separates us from the dominant mainstream percentages, which tends to be white people and their businesses. And so teaching these things and pushing these resources and pushing a genuine nature of it, not charging for membership, not trying to make a name off of it, not just trying to get press off of it, like it's become popularized today, um, is what will continue to separate us from, you know, a a lot of the popular hoopla that you've seen rise in the past three years. Man, you hit on the head. And I think the biggest thing that I took from that is having that adaptability and that diversity to not only partner with African-American vendors. And I think some people are listening to the podcast. It's all, it's two sides. One is like, no, it's all black and nothing, but they still shop at Kroger's and Publix and all this other stuff. Um, I don't see them going to, to black owned grocery stores, especially here or there. And then there's other side of the spectrum where it's like, if this is going to create a better product for my demographic I serve, which are black people, majority, then I'm all mm-hmm. for it. And I mm-hmm. like, I like that that way because, and there's two sides to that. I think, it's easier because, unfortunately, and I might be biased in this, but I think Europeans, of course, because they had kind of a little fast track, but they have, especially nowadays in New Age, they've created a blueprint on how to duplicate stuff. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of people of color that are real selfish with their success. They have not created real blueprints on how they got to where they are. So it's hard to replicate or to do certain things at a high level if it hasn't been modeled. So when I started blogging, I looked at Michael Hyatt. Michael Hyatt is one of the best bloggers. He's very intentional about what he does. He gave mm-hmm. me the blueprints on how to do the blogging, how to set up a WordPress account, how to do all this stuff. When I first wanted to go into speaking, I actually looked into ET. So that is one oh, guy that helped yeah. me down. Mm-hmm. I, I, I looked at kind of his, his, his framework and how he went about it, the foundational piece. But Mary Folio, um, there's so many people that Brendan Bouchard, there's so many people that I looked up to that do not look like me, but this has enabled the pod, John Lee Dumas. The reason why this podcast, if you're listening to it right now, is because strategies that I got from John Lee Dumas and Entrepreneur on Fire. He is definitely not black. There was nobody black out there giving me podcast tips and secrets on how to X, Y, and Z. So that's kind of what I do today because I want to be one of the ones to get the blueprint. But that goes to the point, even as I look to grow my YouTube channel, work on the videos and whatnot, I'm not just going to partner. I mean... If there's a, a of this black people around me that's talented, like the first person I'm work with, he definitely is. He's black, but that's not going to stop me from getting strategy and getting stuff 
from other people because a they're that's a different just a different perspective and i know if the people are the most important the people i serve which is my community right if they're just most important and if there's somebody that doesn't look like me that can add value then who who am i really affirming if i'd be like no you're not black i can't work with you right what is that that doesn't make sense that's not helping the culture and i don't i don't like how just because you're pro black means you're anti everything else nowadays. I mean, sometimes it kind of gets in that sense. Well, just because I, 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 what if I don't got my money and I'm, I'm a pro black bank? That means I'm not pro black. Like, it's kind of, it gets kind of into some dicey conversations and some, some awkward situations now with, with the whole, with all these movements because, and we're just trying to make a world a better place. We really have to be intentional about growing with all cultures, to be honest. Um, and then, and I know people are like, yo, shoot, well, you got a minority trouble as a podcast. Like, you ain't even interviewing white people. Yeah, I'm not, but <laughs> that's just my thoughts on it. Um, I'll leave that mm-hmm. there before people start unfollowing me and then, um, adding, uh, <laughs> throwing shade at me. I just, I just wanted to share that. And I think you brought up some great points on that. Yeah. I think to put a positive spin on what you're saying, just to help you maintain your followers, <laughs> <laughs> um, is that, you know, one way I look at it, which is, Kind of what I was trying to say with YAB or even in politics is that you can be pro your culture and take your and take that and infiltrate areas that do not maintain or do not have your culture present. So, for instance, what I try to do is, you know, make sure that I am the black voice in the room where we're not in the room at all. You know, we always talk about having a seat at the table. Um, based off of Solange's authentically awesome album. But I don't think people really listen to the album. I think they just like the the beats. Because if you really listened and you understood what she was trying to say, is that in order to have that seat at the table, you have to put your place your culture and the the authenticity of your culture in rooms where your culture isn't present. Otherwise they're not thinking about you. You know what I mean? Like it's it's basically to say that you cannot, the problem that we've had a lot of times, when, especially when it comes to the black race, is that we want white people to automatically have the mentality to want to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, white people do think about diversity these days. And this has been a recent conversation that has come up when it comes to DEI work. Um, but they're not going to automatically have the mindset to be inclusive because no one in this world automatically has the mindset to be inclusive, even those that are minorities. And I say that because I um, was on a board this past year, an emerging leaders board that specifically picked people from diverse communities, backgrounds, ethnicity, gender, race, et cetera. And we would have conversations. One of my board members was transgender. And I would have never thought to to put transgender issues on the table because that's not the demographic that I represent. You know, it was the same thing with having someone from the LGBT community or having someone on our board who's from the Hispanic community um, who, you know, brought up issues about immigration. These are not things that I think about every day. Mm -hmm. What I think about is making sure that the demographics I represent, which are still in the minority, are getting leverage. Now, that doesn't mean I don't care about other communities and circles that are also marginalized or disenfranchised 
within themselves. I'm not saying that I don't care. It's just that at the forefront of my mind, subconsciously, I'm only going to be thinking about making sure black people have leverage or women have leverage because that's what I represent. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's what's going to come to mind first. That doesn't mean that you are not trying to be inclusive. So when we talk about making sure that white people make sure that black people are in the rooms or they should be reaching out and giving more resources or they shouldn't be trying to gentrify communities. They're not going to do that. Stop putting that that weight on their shoulders. You need to make sure that you're <laughs> included in that room. You need to make sure that you are at that table or even allowed in the building where the table is in that room, okay, instead of sitting outside of it. You have to make sure that you're there because if not, it's not going to be included. Do we think about white people every time we make a move? No, we do not. So why would they be thinking about us every time they make a move? And I think that just comes from a human perspective of thinking. You're not going to be thinking about other people. Men don't think about women every time they make a move. And that's fine. <laughs> do what you want to do. But I'm going to be that woman that's going to be in that room of all men. And I'm the only one there. And I'm going to say what I have to say on behalf of women. So if it's the same thing when it comes to thriving with black businesses, whether it's entrepreneurship or when you're looking at us in a corporate facet, you have to make sure that you are at the table to put other people from your demographic at that table. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And so you can't make everything black centric or only do things with black people or when you have events you're only partnering with the same four black people or black businesses or organizations because it won't go anywhere but to those same black people because that's who you're branding to so you have to make sure that you're partnering with the people that you're trying to get resources from and that's all i'm saying Oh, man, that, that's 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 helping me kind of evaluate some things, partner with the people you're trying to get resources from. And I think people that are that are especially from reaching out for sponsorships of all this other stuff. And it's like you're reaching out to these companies, even though actually, nah, I'm going to take that back because a lot of these companies, they want millennial black. They're trying to push some kind of urban edge. So I, I kind of I, but I, I definitely I'm, I'm on 110 percent with what you're on right now. So I did want to ask a couple a couple Lasting things first to get real tactical. Two things: one, with uh, as far as politics, how could somebody become, or what are the steps are to becoming a a lobbyist and getting into that space? And then second, for uh, YAP, YAB, or rather, how can a foundation or organization be able to be? Because what are the keys to consistency? As far as because I've been five years straight. And relative to um, not a, a lot of seed funding and whatnot, just getting it out the mud and really staying true to your story. So how have y'all been consistent? So the first, how do you become a lobbyist? Second, how do you curate a culture of consistency um, in, in your nonprofit organization? So for lobbying, whether that's, you know, actually doing government affairs work or development or just working in the lobbying realm is in general, whether that be multi-client or organizational, um, that's a very hard industry to get into. I get asked that a lot, um, being a person of color. I'm going to be honest with you. I had, for me to get the opportunity for my resume to even make it to the top of the list, um, there, I, there is a black guy on our board who I was introduced to. Um, by another black woman in fundraising. She's older, so she kind of like 
you know, supports me, has my back, tells me about opportunities kind of thing. And I was still working on campaigns and doing, you know, political consulting. And so she introduced me to him. And without hesitation, he looked at my resume. You know, it was because of the person that introduced us and the relationship they have that we had a phone call and we talked. And then, you know, from there, you know, he vouched for me because he's on the board of uh, because most organizations have boards. Um, so he's on the board of our lobbying organization or environmental organization, uh, whichever way you look at it. Um, and that has played a major role in how I got my opportunity. Also, someone who I formerly worked for, who is also now on our board, um, he is just someone that once you've worked for him, his name carries a lot of weight. So I do think that those things had leverage in addition to my credentials. So one thing I would tell people is be really strategic about mentorship and and who you connect with. Um, Make sure it's somebody of worth that, you know, has their own credentials that has lasted them for years and is very well respected because that in, in a realm like this, that has more weight. Um. It's not an easy realm to get into. You kind of have to show a lot of receipts. Uh, So if we're talking about telling people about your process, you know, uh, during my interview process, I had to basically already show that I knew how to do the job. So I I had to have a foolproof sponsorship and fundraising plan for the event that I actually ended up planning two weeks into coming into the job. So I kind of had to already come as if I had done the job. And it's, it, it, I probably wanted to be excellent at that more so because I was black and I knew that many black people don't work in environmental politics, but, um, that definitely played a major role. Um, and I think that to probably work in the lobbying aspect of politics and be black, which I could probably count us on both hands, uh, throughout the country. Um, But in environmental politics, I think there's only like two or three, if that. Uh, It's it's just really not many. It's a very, very, very um, low percentage for for Black people, which is why I do try to put it out there that I work in this particular industry. It's a conversation that is being had at my job. Um, I also will say during my interview for this position, you know, I was myself and I kind of came in talking about the fact that, you know, there are not many people of color. And the question wasn't asked. I just chose to bring it up Mm -hmm. that there are not many people of color working in environmental politics. And I would like to infiltrate this organization in order to break down those stereotypes. And I said that in my interview and I still say it to this day. Um, it's, it's authentic and it's who I am. And I just was kind of like, you know, if they really want me here and they want what I stand for, then they'll hire me. If they don't, they won't. And I just am blessed that they did want that voice there. And we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion all the time. So, you know, they allow me to be vocal about the things that I care about. So I'm just really lucky on that note. And some other people who work in this realm, but it's, it's very far few in between. So, you know, if you see, that a lobbying organization or firm will be somewhere, you know, go to that event where they're sponsoring. If you, you know, do some research and you find someone on LinkedIn, you know, 
send them a message. Let them know who you are. Send me your resume, especially if they're a person of color, because, you know, I get random messages sometimes and I pass their information along to our human resources department because, you know, that's a way to help someone else out the way that I was helped. Um, So you will find good people that want to help you, you know, navigate into this world. But you got to have the ambition and tenacity and forethought to be fearless enough to do it. Um, As far as YAB goes, I would say to have the consistency to stand withstand years of time together. One, you have to respect each other's wheelhouses. You know, we broke ourselves into three different entities because we each have three different passions in our own careers individually, and we wanted to maximize on that. I cannot do things with education because I don't work in education, but my co-founder is an adjunct professor. She has a whole master's degree Mm -hmm. in education. So um, that's more of her realm, and that's why she was able to get that partnership with Chicago Public Schools. Mm -hmm. I work with donors and businesses, so I can probably get – it's easy for me to get partnerships with co-working spaces and work with our business development department because – I have those relationships. You know, my other co-founder does uh, personal wellness and image consulting, and she's able to do that and work with the personal development entity because of her wheelhouse. So we respect each other's wheelhouses and we never step on each other's toes when it comes to our individual projects. Also, too, we don't want anything from it because all three of us have, you know, different careers and YAB is not our bread and butter there's no competition when it comes to, you know, how we want to go about it. So it just makes it a little easier to be authentic and genuine when you're not trying to get something from it. Um, it's like volunteering uh, at a soup kitchen. You're not trying to take over soup kitchens <laughs> <laughs> across the country. You, know, you just want to give your time. And I think that's kind of our approach to it, which is why we're seeing a lot of uh people probably try to copy that model. Um, It's not really working, but I applaud the attempt. But, you know, it's their bread and butter. It's not ours. So just makes a difference. And I think we had a clear, concise mission from the beginning of wanting to help women in business nationally. And I think we've stuck to that. So I think those things foundationally, whether it be YAB and business or whether it be MLCV and politics, you know, it's still the same forethought of authentically being yourself to, you know, infiltrate systems successfully. So, nah, you hit it. You hit it right on the head. And I think the biggest thing that I took from it, and I want our, our listeners to took from take from it. Nah, the biggest thing outside of that is the fact that y'all are not wolves in sheep clothing in this nonprofit space. I think there's a lot of nonprofits that are 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 out there that are act they're helping people, but they're trying to help themselves more than they help people, and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of and that's and it's crazy that I see I see a lot of people complaining about the not getting funding for this, not getting funding for this, and all this other stuff, and they they spend I see I mean, and I get it because nonprofit I I get it you have to fundraise I get it I get it I get it but I hear more pleas for money. 
that I'm seeing like what you're doing, the receipts from the money, like what you're doing with mm-hmm. it. Like what where's your success stories? Like document that thing. Put money in the video editing so that you can promote your success stories, that you can promote whatever. Like go over the top when people donate. Like I mean, I'm talking about I have one one of my homegirls, man. I'm talking about a t shirt, pictures, uh written note cards like and i only donated like 25 dollars. like so and she just went over and i know next year it's going to be 50 100 next year as i grow my my contributions grow with it because i go mm-hmm. over the top with thanking people for the donations and when you're spending a lot of time complaining about something or always canvassing for funds when people do give it you're not even i don't get a, a v, immediate email reply or little stuff like that that speaks volumes um it really does and then when i look on your website when it's really not they're really not showcasing all the work that you are been, uh, that you are doing, and and I don't know if that looks like having somebody that's sole focus is to every camp or every event you do curate those stories, talk to those people, and draft it up. Then it's it just it it doesn't make me want to support you. So I definitely commend you on the work you're doing, and it seems like you're doing it in the most authentic um, way possible. So. As we transition to our last round, of culture change round, as a series of five rapid fire questions, and I received five rapid fire answers. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. That don't sound like you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see based on the that's questions like, I received. That's like what someone <laughs> say, what's your area code? And it's like, shoot, man. It just missed <laughs> like, hold on, hold on. Y'all, y'all, I'm on the, uh, So uh, what is the best piece of advice that you have never received? I think the best piece of advice that I've never received would have to be create your own innovative space of opportunity for leverage in your career. That's the best piece of advice that I never received, but that I just did for myself. What does that mean? Can you break it down real quick? What does that mean? Yeah. So basically, um, it basically means create the job that you wish to see. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for me, that's bridging politics with business. Um, no one said that you could do that. So no one said I could do YAB and, you know, work at MLCV at the same time and pretty much forge those two together to show how politics affects business and business affects politics. That's a career in itself. They are not separate entities. Um, but no one pretty much told me that because everyone tells you to pick one lane and stay there. So creating that space of what I want to see for my future and my career um, and creating those opportunities uh, to to build on that, whether that be, you know, do, to get features or do publications or write, you know, that's something that I had to figure out for myself. So that was never any advice that someone gave me and told me to do that. Mm-hmm. What is the if you could add one habit and take away one habit, what would it be? Mm. Adding one habit would be uh, working out at least four times a week. (laughs) You can do that just by if you pay two hundred fifty dollars for a trainer, you're gonna be that that habit is added already. I'm I'm trying (laughs) to maintain um, this body, but it's not really working (laughs) out. Uh, No, it's working out. It's just I think by the time I'm thirty, it might not. So I don't know. and the habit that I would take away, um, I would say 
to be environmentally friendly since we're we're on that route based on where I work. Um, I probably shouldn't be falling asleep with the TV on, but I do it all the time. <laughs> I just like the sound. It's like sound therapy for me <laughs> to hear a show in the background. So that's just what I like. And sometimes I fall asleep with the lights on too, so it's just as bad. All bad. Mm, all bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all, all bad. <laughs> what is what is your biggest fear? Mm, you know what? Although I know where I will end up, you know, based on my faith. Um, my biggest fear is definitely dying. Like sometimes you're just like, what if this plane ride is my last plane ride? Like it's just super creepy. You know, you never know. And maybe that's because we have a society that creates pandemonium around everything. But that's probably my biggest fear mm. for sure. Just not knowing when the time is there. So. That's that's real. What is your favorite book and why? Oh, that's tough because I like so many authors. But I would have to say my favorite book is actually Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Um, It's an older book. And I read it in high school as a summer reading. And I really liked it. I I actually feel like it shouldn't have been a summer reading. It should have just been a required reading during school. Because it was about society choosing to burn these books in this town. Um, And it's kind of like playing on this idea of us, you know, neglecting knowledge or neglecting uh, chasing uh, free thought in order to basically have the society all be on the same level. So it was really interesting book um, if you've never read it or anyone listening has never read it. Um, and it's old school, traditional writing. Ray Bradbury is that type of writer. So I really love that book a lot. And it's a quick read, too. Man, I'm definitely going to have to get that. I've seen it on my brother's uh, book stand forever. I think it was a required summer read. And I don't think you, <laughs> I don't think you read it. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and yeah, grab it. Yeah, when you that. read it, we're going to have a, a mini book club discussion about it. <laughs> If you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? Well, I know the first thing I would do is probably dismantle the current administration. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I think the first thing I would do is try to work to push towards redistricting um, efforts because uh, redistricting or gerrymandering in districts is how we ended up with a lot more red states, um, and which means we had a lot more Republicans in office, which means they had more voting power currently today in most state and federal legislatures. Um, so that would be my first effort because that plays a role in a lot of policies that get passed. So I would be a complete advocate for working towards redistricting, but that's just me. Mm, I love that. I love that. Our last question. Uh, we're done with the rapid fire round. Our last question. I call myself a culture change agent and everybody that I have on the show is a culture change agent in their own right. So, so, so <laughs> if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? I actually would want to change the idea of the generational black family. Um, I think our black family structure still still lacks that that stability there. 
And I think that that plays a role in all the other aspects of the culture that uh, unfortunately are still lower on the hierarchy, like generational wealth. Um, This idea of motherhood and fatherhood, and it plays a role into the type of relationships that men and women have with each other in my generation. So that would be something that I would want to change for sure. Man, that is that is deep. And I like to thank you for well over. We're just approaching two hours, two hours of time and uh, <laughs> for this and this Saturday. And we, we've 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 I'm going to have a doozy of a time editing this thing. I've never had to really I haven't really had to flex my real editing muscle. And in like 40, 50 episodes. So I'm, I'm glad I got to We're going to mix and mingle this thing, but it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a pure production. So I, I, I can't wait to get back in the lab and dissect this thing. But I appreciate your time, your perspective, your energy, and what you're doing for the culture. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for this platform. Um, and thank you for continuously telling the stories of the culture change agents out there worldwide today. You already know. You already know. So, my name is Trailblazer Nation. First of all, where can we find more information about you, your work, all that good stuff online? Like, where, where you at? So, you can visit my personal website at www.lauren.com. Um, you can also follow YAB's website at www.iamyab.org. Um, and follow the social media platforms that are listed on both of those websites. That's the best use of getting to me. Well, that will do it. Once again, thank you for coming on the show. Two hours plus. Phenomenal show. Minority Trouble the Nation. You all know what to do. First, make sure you leave a review. Remember, the goal is 200 by next Thursday. Two, change the freaking culture. Good night. As promised, this is the special edition of Off the Cuff. This is just a really organic conversation between me and Lauren before the show. I wanted to share y'all. There's some nuggets in there. And you just get to know more about me, more about our guests. And this is official Off the Cuff. We won't be doing every episode, but let me know via SoundCloud, via Twitter. If you're feeling it, I'll keep it on. If you're not, I'll take it away. All right? Enjoy. Because, I mean, nobody knows how to help you if they don't know where to help you at. It's like, okay. Right. So even with this conference, I could I could hide behind a mask and say, oh, I, I know how I'm going to get $100,000 of sponsorship. I know how I'm going to get 300 people to sign up for $300. I, know, I don't know all that stuff. I know what I can provide. I know I can provide dope content. I can curate the speakers and curate the sessions and whatnot. But all the other stuff, I had to reach out and say, hey, I need help. And I need help mm-hmm. in these areas because at first – like two years ago, I just used to say, I need help. But then you like, help, mm-hmm. help doing what? And then now I was like, okay, help in these specific areas. And then probably the next couple of years, I need help in these specific areas, in these specific positions. And that just allows people to say, yo, I can do that. Cause a lot of times we all, there's, there's, there's usually a couple people in our network that can help us exactly what we need help in. But if you don't say nothing, if you're like, oh, how's your day? Oh, I'm good. How's everything rocking? Oh, we smooth, bruh. Like, what, what do you mean? Or if it's bad, it's like hot. Like, what's bad about it, man? It's just not working. What is not working? Well, I don't know. What the? All right, yeah. All right, we in we in mode now. No, I completely agree with you. It's like I just feel like people need to start doing things with intention. It's like asking for help with intention. Or I mean, it's the same thing if you are doing it from a church perspective. It's like praying with intention. Or 
applying for this job with intention? Like, how will this intentionally affect your life? Because otherwise, if you're just doing it for the sake of doing it, it's not beneficial. Nah, you hit it. You hit it on it. I completely so. agree with you. All right, now we in. Zone. Are you from North Carolina? Because like, I don't hear that much of a southern twang in your voice. Yeah, I'm from I'm from the city. Uh, I'm from North Carolina, but okay. Uh, I was born in Virginia, and I don't know. I just I really I one of my key gifts that God has bestowed upon me is like uh, vulnerability and then the ability to adapt. Like people say adapt, but I'm like not adapt, assimilate. Like I've I take the best characteristics out of my friends, out of stuff I see from other people, and I just like mm-hmm. embolden it into myself. So. I never will be, I mean, of course I'm still Greg, but I mean, like my comedy and some of the stuff I've learned from like my, my one of my childhood friends growing up and now he's, he, he, I told growing up, he was one of the famous, one of the most funniest people I've ever heard in my entire life. Like he's, I was around him from 10th grade to, to freaking freshman year. I mean, to college and, um, 10th, 11th and 12th. And I tell you, he is by far the funniest. And now the world sees him. He's famous, Lowe's 32. I, you're probably not in that sphere, but he had like a million Instagram followers. He does a uh, basketball stuff related and he's just phenomenally funny. So I've always been able to assimilate what I, what I see like, Oh man, that's, that's popping. I assimilate into myself. So I never really, I, that's why I won't have an accent. I just, I, I'm just a, a chameleon of sorts. That's interesting. So like, what's your life like in North Carolina? I was, like, what do you do outside of, like, your job? <laughs> I mean, I, like, right now, I, I teach. I'm a business teacher at Hillside uh, High School. So mm-hmm. that has allowed me, I intentionally did that because I was going into all these places to speak, colleges and a lot of high schools to speak. Mm-hmm. But I really wasn't all the way tapped in on what the culture was, like, what's really the problems. I mean, I, I got my narrative. I still get my point across. So I was like, yo, I can help mm-hmm. more. Like, what is really going on? And I see mm-hmm. people, people are really skipping class. People are really watching Netflix while the teacher's talking. Multiple kids. People are really cursing out students. People, I mean, kids. Mm-hmm. Teachers are really, like, saying, all right, punting on classes. It's like, you see a lot. And now I see administration. I see so much what's going on. I see how money is mismanaged. I see how we have... $15,000 in the software, but nobody uses it. It's like, wow, I'm seeing, I see a lot of great things, but I see a lot of glitches. So now mm-hmm. when I, when I approach this thing in the next couple of years, I got a renewed energy, a renewed purpose. And plus I have a renewed connection because I know I'll forever be a part of the Hillside High School family. Even when I'm not teaching there, I'm going to be mm-hmm. uh, seeping into those students and I have those real connections. And I got to see how, how consistency works. Like, even if every day, I, even though I, I speak for a living, every day don't I wasn't Mr. Hill's class wasn't like yo, let's like it wasn't like that. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I got to see how just showing up every single day, even the days where I was just talking, just giving real advice, like how over a year's time how that impacts, and a lot of people would never see the results of consistency because they don't do anything consistent. And now me just modeling that and seeing like yo. This is this lives change. You just show up every single day. You don't have to be grandiose. You don't have to be huge. Just showing up every day. So outside of that, that teach. I mean, I know. Of course, I do the podcast, mm-hmm. and then um, speaking, thinking about different ideas, uh, traveling, and not a lot. Of, yeah, traveling, writing. So I'm, I'm usually in a lab, like I'm working on a book, working on an album. So I'm always in a lab. I like North Carolina because I can pretty much be in the zone by myself. Um, I can, mm-hmm. I got, I got a team of cats I work with in Charlotte and whatnot, but I don't like, my mind doesn't process stuff well when it's really a lot of chaos is going around around me. Like New York, a lot of people moving and shaking. Just, I, I need tranquility. I need space. So 
Mm-hmm. That's why I love North Carolina. And I, I I just love the South. So I don't know if I could really, I don't know. I could, but I don't know if that's really my space to be up like up North or in LA or whatnot. I like, I like mm-hmm. really this tempo. I like visiting and moving and shaking. And then plus, in the end of the day, and I'm gonna live by this until until I want to. Otherwise, some people disagree, but this is what space I'm in because I'm, I'm I, I consider myself very self aware. I like being a big fish in a small pond too. I'm cool with that. Mm. Uh, until I until I outgrow the pond, it's cool. But I like being the guy in North Carolina because I know because because when I first started speaking, I was I was I thought I wanted to be uh, the guy. I, I was shooting to be one of the top guys in the whole profession, like in the, in, the, in the next decade or so. But I was like, hold mm-hmm. up, G. Foundation, 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 brick by brick by brick. Be the, first of all, be the best speaker in your neighborhood. Then be the best speaker in your city, in your town. Then be the best speaker in Durham. Then Greensboro. Then North Carolina. Then the East Coast. Then the, the U.S. Like mm-hmm. take it step by step. Don't try to shoot out and then you have no foundation. Nobody in your city mm-hmm. knows you. I didn't want to be those guys that, like you said, check the read receipts. You are, how are you that pop? But nobody in the city knows you. Nobody knows what impact you're making, but you like, that's not you. You're a fraud. <laughs> like that mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Cause when you go at this city, the kids don't know you. Those schools that you're so empowering, but your city's in shambles. If you that deep, then why, why are you not working for your city? Like what, like why is the mm. city not, why is your city not like, yo, you're here in, not to say, I'm talking about in small things because I mean everybody's not the mayor, but somebody's not affected by your by your greatness in your city if you that deep. So, what you mean? Hmm. Right? You got ten thousand followers on online. Okay, cool. But like, what, what kids are affected by what you're doing? What young adults, people your age group, are affected by what you do in your city? That's true. What does I that mean. mean? It's interesting because so if you take something like the read, because I do listen to them every day, but it's really more so for comedy when I'm like driving Mm -hmm. (laughs) to work because I need a release. Granted, you know, they're more about the party, right? It's more about we're just kind of doing it for the culture, which these days is more of like Amigos reference than like, you know, an HBCU 90s living single you know, that kind of doing it for the culture. So it's a little different now. You know, they like to party and and live it up. And granted, I think they're really good for like a college base mm-hmm. or early 20s. But when we start to get older, like, obviously, that can't be the main topic of our focus. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I do. I think you guys are I look at you with two different categories. Like some of the podcasts I listen to are more for like humor. Mm-hmm. Some people balance that out. So like another round, which is more female dominated, just balances that out because, you know, Heaven and Tracy are really funny, but like they bring on like real legitimate guests, like mm-hmm. the founder who coined intersectionality. That was actually a really good segment for me because I thought it was pretty interesting. Podcast, I don't know like how the podcast world is, how competitive it is. Um, you know, I know some of you guys know each other. Um, and I've seen cross collaboration, which I love to see when a podcaster is a featured guest on another podcaster segment. I just think that's pretty dope. But it's interesting. I'm sure you guys have it as an industry, just as any other industry would be, where it can be competitive. Yeah, I'm not. I, it's competitive. Actually, it's not really that competitive in my in my in my esteem. Because first of all, I know why. Mm-hmm. I, I know the purpose of it. The purpose mm-hmm. is to esteem more people of color. So if somebody else is doing that another platform, I'm all for it. 
Like mm-hmm. just flat out. Like I remember when Nikila Matthews was Side Hustle Pro, when she first started, she reached out for strategies and I had like couple full blown couple hour conversations on every strategy, how I got to getting the news and noteworthy, how to do this, how to do that. They're doing phenomenal. They have a great online presence. She has really uh done her due diligence as far as Instagram marketing because I don't really I'm I'm a big LinkedIn and Facebook. I haven't really done and I've kinda in this summer I'm a turn a more intentional eye towards Instagram because I feel like dang I'm missing the wind I'm missing the opportunity yeah Instagram is definitely where Uh, it's at yeah so I don't I don't really I haven't been intentional with that I left it I left it blank because I mean people don't I just Instagram people are are double tap they don't click through LinkedIn I know they click through Facebook clean through LinkedIn I mean but I still need it's hard to to click through on on Instagram though because you can't really click the link like yeah. you'd have to go to that person's bio to click it. It's so a lot more work. And you can, and you, there's creative ways to get there, but it's like, it takes so much intentionality. You know how the game is. It's not just as mm-hmm. simple as, okay, we want to politic. We want a canvas to get a hundred thousand. There's so much stuff you have to do to even get there. Mm-hmm. So that's why it is at times kind of, kind of difficult. So, uh, but yeah, no, no, no. I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. And I, I'm definitely, I got a couple more. I think I'm going to have dreams and drive people on here. You I'm, should. I love Raina. She's yeah. so awesome. So I'm going to do a lot more collaborations and we'll probably, I might have a, for the, at the conference, I might have a section to do some more collaborations because I'm all, I'm all for it. And I like, love that. Yeah. And plus, at the end of the day, uh, there's not too many black men in this po- still podcast space that are, an, that not. are not celebrities that are bringing conscious content. So, but luckily podcast is one of the specials. Cause I'm, I remember when I got into this game, before podcasting, I wanted to hit people visually, auto, auto, and and write stuff. So that's why we wrote the second. We wrote two books. We're working on the third right now. We got the podcast. Mm-hmm. We got an album coming out. So I always knew that at the end of the day, podcast was going to help extend myself. But it wasn't the only, that wasn't going to be the only hang. That was yeah. yeah. So that's why I said I'm kind of like a a different. Um, like a creative player in a sense. That's why that Kendrick Lamar, um, and I say this is the most humbling. I, I'm very self-aware. I know where I stand in the whole jump, but it's like, that's why I love that Kendrick Lamar song, the, the future remix when he said like, like I'm a creative player. It's like, okay, boom, you on the podcast mm-hmm. scene, but this album, like it's going to be, I a like that run. mask off remix. He really made the song cause okay. The, and also Metro boom, it makes awesome beats, Yeah, but future is never talking about anything, but when Kendrick got on there, I was like, okay, I really love this song. I would, <laughs> if we had time, uh, I would debate about that. Future doesn't, I, I, it just, it just, you have to look at future from a different lens. Like, no, I do. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. I do listen to future. I'm not going to sit here and act like I don't listen to stick talk and free co. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's on my list, mm-hmm. but I look at him as like more of like my trap listens. So like him, Gucci Mane will always be my trap listen, even if he's more conscious post-jail. Migos, Mm-mm. you know, I, I have no my Migos. trap. And there's no Migos ever going to be on my playlist. I hate Migos. <laughs> I respect what they're doing, but I hate. There's no, there's, I mean, there's nothing from the, them. The, their producers are just quality. Is that, I, I mean, I can't. And you know what? I was in college in the the real trap era, like 07 to like... 2010 was like extremely trap music so it was like Jeezy and Gucci Mane and Lil Wayne's music was trap and Drake had just started entering trap it was just like what you listen to at college parties uh Waka Flocka was out it was like that kind of thing but that doesn't mean that 
I'm going to necessarily respect the craft. I totally see what direction they're going in. They've been the same since they came out. It's just, you know, the culture has changed, so they're picking up on it. But, you know, they're not going to have trap and content like Jeezy would. You know what I mean? But he also lived the life that he's talking about, whereas Migos didn't. You know? Yeah, nah, I, I get it. <laughs> and, and plus, and, and they, I, I, I have this so many hidden messages, like Perky's calling that song. Like there was so many it, people would be like, probably gonna be like, yo, that that, what well, that song ain't even that deep, bro. But that song is, it has some deep, deep like future. Yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking about the psychology behind like mask off. It's like the certain rhymes in there, and the certain essence, kind of like what I said mm-hmm. on like a, a recap. It's like. You know, we talked about it. Everybody in the society live with a mask on. Like majority of people, they they're fronting, they're pump faking, they're doing That's all true. that stuff. That's so very it's like true. mask off. Like take your mask, like take your freaking mask off. Like who are you behind this thing? Like like who who are you? So that's why I got out of it. And it's like um and then um a couple lines from it. And then Perky's calling. He was talking. Man, it's it's. It, I I think I I I used to hate Future, but now when I mm-hmm. I kind of break stuff down, not lyrics, but just break down the vibe and kind of some some things in the essence of where it comes coming from the mindset like when you look at rappers for mindsets that's when i get i can get something from a little yeah i can get something from the migos when you think about mindsets mm-hmm. adaptability and all this other stuff but when if i just listen to it at face value then i'm like what the freak but um nah i'm all i'm all for it, man especially collaborations and and doing more stuff but any day oh, yeah. i'm i'm I, I knew in the game there was gonna be nobody in this lane that's gonna be kind of like me because i can stand alone outside the podcast so it's like well, yeah, looking at your resume, you know, you 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 technically don't have to do podcasts. You could probably just work in business. I could as a but corporate professional, but it's just you, you got know. it's the it, this podcast really it it has allowed me specifically kind of how I how I've been able to kind of market it has allowed me the, the exposure and just the understanding connection with people. Like I can connect with people just by speaking or whatnot, but. I'm still growing my message, growing how I want to impact and seeing what way I want to go. But this podcast gives you a, a off the cuff, not as not as manicured rawness. And most importantly, the reason why I got because I just always wanted to have great conversation with people that were already doing stuff. Like I realized in my life that mm-hmm. my friends were doing great stuff. But I was like, man, I wanted from a di- people that didn't know me to have that kind of organic conversation, not people that kind of know me. So our conversation could just drift towards stuff we usually just talk about. So having mm-hmm. that on a weekly basis and then building those connections because now I have a, a platform where I, I'm not only adding value to myself, I'm adding more value to the majority of the people that's coming on because I, I my show, sometimes I have people that people already know. Majority of times I have people that are lesser known but are bigger than niche. So I'm giving them value by giving them exposure, specifically if they get some deep interviews and I can get enough to get some good marketing copy of. They stuff mm-hmm. go viral and then they like, yo, Anytime I, I hit them up, they're like, oh, gee, I got you. So now that creates mm-hmm. that bridge, that relationship. So for the future, when somebody asks me something, I can be like, okay, cool. You can, you, you got a question about policy or whatnot? Oh, go to Lauren. She, she's, she's a person. If they refer by me, mm-hmm. you'll be more apt to be like, okay, cool. And it just builds that lifelong connection. So in 10 years, mm-hmm. as we progress, first I could be like, yo, I had these people on the podcast, hear these stories. Uh, and second, <laughs> it just, it, it just, when people are really, about to make powerful and boss moves. Now we have the people in the culture have that connectivity to really like, yo, make it happen. Cause I think that's the benefit of this new generation that we won't Agreed. see within the next decade. Like people are saying, okay, people, all these individual platforms is great. But in the next decade, when people are really in a position to make powerful moves, if, if, if the black coach takes the ego out of it, 
then we can create magic. I agree. I completely agree. 